the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. So the general principle of a Christian's response to his government is submission, it's obedience, it's respect, it's honor. But the inevitable question, which Romans 13 really doesn't deal with, but which the rest of the Word of God does, is how far do we take this? Are we to obey in an unlimited sense? Is there ever a time where we are justified in disobeying the government? Are we, as Christ followers, permitted to pick and choose which government laws and ordinances we will obey and which we will not? Well, if you heard the last verse by verse, or if you've read Romans chapter 13, or many other passages that deal with the subject, you know that the answer is no. We are not above the law of the land simply because we serve the king of the universe. But there are times when the law of the land contradicts God's word. Toward the end of today's class, we will look at some biblical examples as Pastor Steve Kreloff continues his series of lessons on this vital subject on the Christian's response to the government. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, and he has been serving there since 1981. Before he dives into the area of civil disobedience, let's continue thinking about the importance of obeying the vast majority of laws, the ones that do not contradict God's Word. Here is Pastor Steve. Would you turn to John chapter 8, how deep this hatred and, and attitude of insubordination went towards Rome? I have never seen this before until this week. I have taught John chapter 8. I have thought about it, but I have never seen this until this week. In John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus therefore was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now they answered him, we are Abraham's offspring, and we have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? Now I remember reading this, studying this, and thinking, what do they need, a, a lesson in history? Of course they had been enslaved. They had been in slavery in Egypt. Babylon took them captive and made them slaves. They were under the domination of Medo-Persian Empire of Greece, and now Rome presently ruled over them, and they say, we've never been in slavery to anybody? Who are they kidding? Well, they didn't need a history lesson. They didn't need Jesus to say, now, now let's go back in your Old Testament and explain to you your history. No, they didn't need that at all. You know what they were saying? They were saying, we may be slaves on the outside, but we have never been enslaved to anybody on the inside. It's like the, the kid who you tell to sit down because he's standing and he, and he sits down, but his attitude is, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. 
What they were saying is that, that only, only outwardly we have submitted to Rome. Inwardly, we hate it. And we've never in our hearts internally been in subjection to anybody. And that's what they're really saying. They had never been a slave in heart attitude. They had never been a slave inside. In other words, there is always a spirit of rebellion inwardly. And sometimes that spirit of rebellion came out and it manifested itself. And there was a group that that uh, lived around that time called the Zealots. One of our Lord's disciples was called a Zealot, and he probably came from this, this political religious group. It did not mean that they had just zeal. It meant that they were a terrorist group. We hear about terrorism today in the Middle East. It was back then, too. The Zealots were a group that led open revolts against Rome. They weren't just uh, rebelling on the inside. They actually led open revolts and revolutions against Rome. They had a saying, no king but God, no taxes to anyone but God. They openly defied the Roman government. They refused to pay their taxes. They were, they were a terrorist group. They murdered people. They were assassins. They were fanatic nationalists. In fact, there was a nickname given to them. They were called the Dagger Bearers. They wrecked houses. They, they burned crops. They even killed Jews who would dare to honor Rome. The political climate in Israel at the time of Christ was revolution. That's what filled the air. If they didn't openly speak about it for fear of the authorities, it was certainly the attitude that prevailed and what they said behind closed doors. In fact, that's why in John 6, 15, after Jesus feeds the multitude of Galilean Jews and, and they're, they're thrilled, I mean, free food for everybody. They say, look, we've got the Messiah here. Let's storm Jerusalem and we'll make him king. And the Bible says in John six fifteen, Jesus knowing that this is their intention to make him king, retreated. I mean, he didn't come to be a political king, not on those terms, not on their terms. He came to be a savior. Came to rule in the hearts of men, not to establish an outward structure of government. In fact, revolution and that attitude of the Jewish people, open rebellion became so bad that in, in Acts chapter 18, we read about Claudius who had expelled the Jews from Rome. I mean, Claudius, got, Claudius Caesar later got so sick of the Jews' rebellion that for a time period, and apparently it was only a time period, he said, get out of here. I'm tired of your insurrectionist attitude. You're not going to put up with it any, any longer. And eventually Rome refused to take any kind of Jewish rebellion and insubordination, and they crushed Jerusalem in A.D. 70 when they marched in with Titus and the Roman legion and if you've ever seen the film called Masada, that's what it's all about. The Jews retreated to the fortress of Masada, and it was there that they fought the Romans. And rather, when they knew their doom was, was imminent, rather than face Roman punishment and Roman domination, over 900 of them committed suicide. Now, I want you to understand, that was the prevailing attitude of the Jews of Christ's day. That's what he's dealing with. That's what Paul is up against. And the church at Rome is made up of many, many Jewish people that from infancy that has been bred into them. That climate of revolution towards Rome is something that was taught to them. It has been inbred. That spirit of rebellion has been ingrained in them since childhood. But now they're Christians. And somebody's got to tell them that Christians don't do this anymore. 
Christians don't fight the government. Christians submit to the government. And somebody needs to tell the church today that's what Christians do as well. Now they're Christians and they have presented themselves to God as living sacrifices. And now Paul says, once you've done that, understand that God wants to use you as a model citizen, not as a protester. God wants to use you as one who is obedient to the law, not as lawless, not as a lawless one. And what Paul is saying, in essence, is that committed Christians don't rebel against their government. They submit to it. A new life means a new relationship with the government. You see, salvation is very practical. It isn't that you just get saved in an isolated world and you have no dealings with anyone else. When you are saved, it will affect every area of your life, your home. It will affect your your relationship at work. It'll affect your relationship with people. It'll affect your relationship with neighbors. It'll reflect your relationship with your spouse. It'll reflect your relationship with your government. Now notice in John, rather in Romans 13, Paul did not say, submit yourselves to the government only if it's a good government. He didn't say that. And he didn't say, submit yourself to the government if you agree with its policies. He didn't say that. And he certainly didn't say submit to the government if you're a Republican and the government is Republican. He didn't say that. In fact, we tend to interpret the Bible as if it were written only for 20th century Americans. was not. And we tend to read into it our political structure. And we tend to, to interpret it as if it's only for us. But do you know that one-fourth of the world's population today lives under military-controlled governments, they live under dictatorships, they live under communism. You see, whatever it's saying to an American Christian, it's also saying to a Russian Christian who has an ungodly government. Whatever it is saying to us by way of application is also saying to a Chinese Christian who lives under a communist regime. Now, I want to I tell you something because... I think this is very vital to our understanding. Very vital. When Paul penned Romans, you know who was in authority? Caesar Nero. Now, you may think of Nero as a wicked, horrible man, but I was interested to find out in my studies that during the first part of his reign as, as the emperor, he was a good king. In fact, Seneca, contemporary of his, said that Nero during this time was incapable of learning cruelty. Now, Seneca needed to get his theology straightened out, but the point that he makes is a valid one, that during this time of his life, uh, Caesar, Nero, was not a man who did a whole lot of horrible things in government. But something changed that. Something changed that. I'm not sure exactly what, but there was a time came in Nero's life when his mother died. Sources say that he killed his own mother. Sources also say that he then cut her up, and, and it seems as if this man went mad. From that time on, his reign was marked by extreme wickedness. On July 18th, 64 AD, Rome began to burn. Nero was suspected of starting the fire. Whether he did or not, we really don't know. But he was suspected of doing it either for his own entertainment or to clear some ground in Rome to build a new palace that would honor him. Now, it's said 
that in order to divert suspicion away from himself, and I think that this we can say is historically accurate and reliable, he accused the Christians of burning Rome. And the result was the first official Roman persecution of the church. He arrested and tortured uh, Christians to death. Some he covered with the skins of wild beasts, and there were other hideous things that he did. Now, why is all of this important to us? Because when Paul penned Romans 13, Nero was good. Nero didn't mistreat Christians like he did later. And there are some who would tell us that because of that, what Paul's message is, is, is this. If the government treats you well, you are to obey it. You are to submit to it. And so when Paul wrote this, because Rome was such a good and benevolent government and, and Caesar was so wonderful, the message is this, only obey good governments. And so some say, you see, that justifies it. We don't have to obey government when it's wicked. And they also say, well, Paul was a Roman citizen. What else is he going to write? But there was the church in existence when Nero turned wicked. And thank God, Peter wrote his first letter at that time. And he tells us how Christians are to submit and respond to the government when it is wicked. Would you turn to 1 Peter and you'll see what I mean? 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, 1 Peter is, is written about the time that Nero's madness got to him and persecution has just begun on the church. That's why the theme of 1 Peter is how to handle suffering. He's not dealing just with minor sufferings. He's dealing with major life-giving persecution, martyrdom and other things as well. And Peter, I might add, is not a Roman citizen. Peter's, Peter was a uh, citizen of Israel. Peter was part of the despised minority. So he's not writing as a Roman citizen. He's writing as an oppressed part of the minority, and he's writing under persecution. He says in verse 13, same thing that Paul said, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. To every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. And there are all kinds of accusations going on in the Roman Empire. And maybe what Peter is saying is the accusation that, that Christians burnt Rome and that Christians are cannibals because they, they practice the Lord's Supper, which speaks of the blood of Christ, and the Christians are insurrectionists, and they want to put another king in, in office. That's King Jesus. And so he says that by doing right, and what is that right? How does he speak of right? What is the right way to behave? By submitting yourselves to the Lord's uh, government, to the Lord's, for the Lord's sake, rather, to every human government. You may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king, even if he's the wicked Nero. So we want to understand that, that Paul is not saying, and Peter is not saying, that you just honor and submit to a government that you agree with. No government is perfect. No government is perfect. There are laws in every government that you and I might disagree with. But the biblical principle is still the same. Submit to it. An unjust government doesn't give us the right to disobey it because its rules and laws are not fair. 
And I want to illustrate that for you in Paul's own life when he was when he was presented with those very uh, incidents that that you would think he could rebel if he said rebel against the government when they don't treat you right. Would you look at Acts chapter 16 in Acts chapter 16, verse 20, Paul is going to be arrested in Philippi. When they had, uh, verse 19 says, when their masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and they are proclaiming customs uh, which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. And the crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. Verse 24, And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. You think the government was always good? You think Rome was always fair? Paul was a Roman citizen. No, Paul didn't later write, we're to, we're to throw off the government if they do things like this to us. Let me show you another illustration, Acts chapter 23. Paul was subject to the authority over him even when the authority over him was in sin. In Acts chapter 23... Verses 1 through 5, and Paul looking intently at the council. Now, this is not the Roman council. This is the Sanhedrin. This is the Jewish council. But Rome gave the Jewish council authority, governmental authority over its people. And so it would still apply the same principle. The council said, brethren, Paul said this, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. Imagine that Paul just says, I'd like to say I've honored God. And the man in charge, the high priest says, strike that man. They hit him. And Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. And do you sit to try me according to the law? And in violation of the law, you ordered me to be struck? I mean, the high priest disobeyed the law of God, the very law that he, that he said he would uphold, the very law that he supposedly stood for. But the bystanders said, do you revile God's high priest? Now, Paul didn't know it was the high priest. Paul has just, has just been rude to him. They say, but Paul was right. What he said was right. The way he said it was wrong because he apologizes. And Paul said, I went, verse 5, I was not aware, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, here was a ruler who was ungodly. Here was a ruler who broke the law. Here was a ruler who struck Paul in the face. At least he ordered someone to do that. And Paul just blasted him. But when he realized what he had done, Paul said, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-five, he says, I've been thrown in jail. I've been beaten I've been whipped. I've been mistreated. But you know what? That didn't change Paul's view. Not of the government. Someone might say, well, sure, when Paul wrote Romans 13, nobody had done anything bad to him. But give him a little bit of time and he'll see how corrupt government can be and how he'll justify that we'll disobey the government. Eight or nine years later, Paul had opportunity to write about the government again. He had been beaten at this, by this time. He had been thrown in jail. He had been falsely accused by his own government. And towards the end of his life, 
Eight or nine years after he wrote Romans 13, and several imprisonments later, Paul wrote to Titus. In Titus chapter 3, verse 1, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. At the end of his life, after he had been mistreated by his own government, the government he taught that the people ought to respond to, he said, honor them, be obedient, speak well of them, respect them. You see, submission, and First Peter speaks of this, submission is not just that I, that I obey the laws of the land, it's that I do it with an attitude of submission. It's that I honor those in authority. You see, the church, in my opinion, today is so busy trying to make this a Christian nation that we've forgotten to act like Christians. And so we don't honor anybody. I mean, we think we have the right to be rude to people because we disagree with them politically and even morally. So the general principle of a Christian's response to his government is submission, it's obedience, it's respect, it's honor. But the inevitable question which Romans 13 really doesn't deal with, but which the rest of the Word of God does, is how far do we take this? Are we to obey in an unlimited sense? Is there ever a time where we are justified in disobeying the government? The answer is yes. There is a time. And only one time. Only one category and consideration. And that's when the government commands us to do something that the Bible forbids us to do, or when the government forbids us to do something that the Bible commands us to do. In other words, if the Bible and the government conflict as far as what they say we must do in, in obedience, then we must obey God rather than, than man. If the government commanded you to lie, you don't lie. If the government ordered all pregnant mothers to abort their babies, you don't abort your baby. You say, but they'll kill me. So they kill you. Better to be killed and to be obedient than to live and be disobedient to the word of God. If a law was passed commanding us to kill older people who are useless to society, we don't do that, regardless of what the government says. And there may be a time in our government where it'll reach that kind of proportion. Is there any biblical support for this? Is there anybody in Scripture who disobeyed their government and was right to do that? Yes, there is. The most familiar, that, that, uh, the one that we're familiar most with, is found in the New Testament, but I don't want to get there yet. I want to show you some other passages of Scripture. And uh, Exodus chapter 1. You may not be as familiar with this as you are with Peter and John when they said we must obey God rather than men. But in Exodus chapter 1, the Egyptian ruler was getting a little bit nervous because the Jewish people were having a lot of babies. And before too long, there'd be more Jewish people than Egyptian people. And so in Exodus chapter 1, verse 15, then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. One of them was named Shiprah, and another was named Pua. And he said, when you were helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them on the birth stool, if it's a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it's a daughter, then she shall live. In other words, kill male children. But the midwives feared God, and they did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but they let the boys live. Now, they didn't have a written 
revelation from God, they just knew by their conscience and the, their inward sense of what's right and wrong that they were not to kill anybody in a murderous way. That's the first incident in the Bible that I'm aware of where civil disobedience is, is justified and is done. There are other examples of godly civil disobedience, both in the Bible and in our own times. We will consider them on the next verse by verse. Thanks for joining us today as we explore the subject of how a Christian ought to respond to his or her government. Pastor Steve Kreloff is teaching from Romans chapter 13. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel, and these radio adaptations of his messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. To find out more about us or to listen again to today's class, please visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can also listen to or download any of the MP3 audio files in the archives. To order a CD or cassette with the entire message that Pastor Steve began today, please call us at 727-239-0306. Most of the time, God wants us to submit to the government. Sometimes, He demands the opposite. In either case, doing what He wants is always better than the alternative. Let's get back together for the next verse by verse, and we'll see that God is not as much interested in making the world a better place as He is in saving people for the wonders of an eternity with Him. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.